This is the PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. PowerShell Podcast. A production of PDQ.com. Making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm Ultra Mega Superstar Jordan with even bigger Ultra Mega Superstar, Andrew Plaw. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, this is where we're supposed to talk about some of the goings on this week, but uh, neither one of us prepped for this because we spent all of our time prepping for our guest. So we're just going to dive right into it. Welcome to the podcast, Jakob Yarish. Hey, thank you for having me. You are the maintainer of Pester, am I correct? That's true. I'm, I am excited to talk about it. We, so many guests have brought this up. I always talk positive about it, even if I'm too lazy to actually do what I'm supposed to do. But I'm excited to find out kind of the inner workings of what's going on with, with that. Yeah, I'll be happy to teach you. Yeah, long awaited. We have heard from so many people that Pester is super important. And, uh, you know, I've used it a bit. But I think more people using tests in their programming can only lead to better things. Um, what is Pester, though, in your words? In my words, Pester uh, is a testing framework that grew up to be a little bit more than that. People found so many uh, useful use cases for it. So nowadays, it's a testing framework. It's an automation framework. It is below things like DBHX for validating your databases. So it's kind of a multi-purpose uh, tool and to-do running engine. But it started as a testing framework and has all the bells and whistles that you would expect, like assertions, mocking, and so on. And it's mostly written in PowerShell. So people can actually dig into that code and see how it's working. OK. So for people who've never done any programming or testing, it sounds kind of like, and tell me if I'm wrong here, this is a way that you can have code that runs and if it succeeds or pass, it kind of lets you know the status of your code. And that could be for things like make sure the syntax is right, or that could be for other more creative uses. Like I've heard of people doing infrastructure testing with Pester, because it's really kind of just running code and dealing with the results of that, sort of. Is that fair? It's exactly that. Um, you run some code. If that code succeeds, the test succeeds. If that code fails and throws like an exception or writes an error, that test fails. And then we have some helper methods or helper functions, which we call assertions, that help you ensure that if you return some data from your code, that the data look like what you expected. And that's pretty much what testing is, kind of an automation of what you would normally do manually. And if you do it manually, then you also look at the screen and see, is this the user that I wanted? And if you decide yes, then in your head, the test passed. You just express that in code, and you have your test. Your example on Git is basically you build a function for Git planet, where you list all of the planets, and then you have a, basically you pipe the results into a where should dash be. So it's a kind of where, when, you, when you're writing past you, you kind of give a, these are the expected results, and then if it falls anything, it just alerts you that the results were different than you thought? Yes, yes, that's, that's the example. Uh, you have some simple function that returns some data, and then you use the should, which is an assertion, to make sure that the data that you returned were the data that you were expecting. And if the actual value, which is what we usually call what you returned from the tested function, and the expected value that you specify inside of the test are matching, then your test passes. Otherwise, the assertion throws an exception. Or if any other code throws an exception, the test will simply fail. And it sounds super fancy. Right. If you've never done this, it sounds like some pretty complicated stuff. But you mentioned earlier, it's pretty much just PowerShell. But in addition to that, I think that it's technically called a domain-specific language, where you know Jordan mentioned should and be, um, which it's basically just PowerShell, but it's just kind of a different way of writing it. And once you know these couple concepts, you mentioned mocking. You kind of learn the way that you assert things. Assert meaning like, hey, this should be true or or false kind of thing. Once you get that, it's pretty approachable. Just a couple concepts you got to get out of the way first. Uh, that's true. Even uh, technically, at like the technical level, a testing framework, very simple testing framework, is nothing more than a loop or 
few ifs, and that's it, and a try catch. So you can catch the exceptions that are being raised from your assertions or your code. So I do have in some places uh, some minimal examples of a testing framework. I have a whole talk on this, like let's write faster from scratch. And uh, the minimal implementation is really like 40 lines of code. The most complicated part of Pester technically is the mocking because you need to know a lot of concepts. But uh, on the like on the idea level, it's not so complicated. It's just replacing functionality of some function that is in PowerShell with your own implementation. So once you get like that click moment in your head, you will realize that it's all pretty simple. But uh, reaching that moment can take a long time. It also took a long time for me before I realized what I'm actually doing when I'm testing something. So I think this learning experience is there for everyone, and they have to do it for themselves, unfortunately. Because I would love to just explain it to people, and they would be like, oh, this is super easy. Let's do it. Yep. So it has a lot of the same language usage it looks pretty similar but it's something where you just you have to spend time with yes yes and you talked about the domain specific language if i was redesigning pester from scratch nowadays i wouldn't use that i would i would just do it differently i would do it in kind of a more powershell way so we can avoid all of this nesting of script blocks and so on but uh it would be a huge change for everyone and it would be very difficult to sell that to people because they already have a hard time upgrading from version four to version five, even though it uses the same language. Yeah, and you mentioned mocking. Why would someone want to mock and what is mocking? Oh, mocking. So mocking has two main uses. One of them is you are writing some functionality and that functionality internally depends on some other functionality and you are just not ready to test all of this or you don't want to bother, like uh, you're writing a module that's working with SharePoint, for example. And to be able to test that, you have to be on SharePoint and you have to have like so much of this infrastructure, but your module is actually quite naive and it just grabs some data, do some, does some transformation on it and like gives you a report. And so instead of having to deploy whole SharePoint and test on it and like put all the resources in place, you just say this single function that I actually use from the SharePoint module, if even that thing exists, um, I want to mock it. I want to replace it with my own idea of what it should be returning as a data. And then I will do transformation on this data and check if the report is correct. So maybe a better example, if uh, you would be using users from like Azure uh, or Active Directory, you get the user and it has some name and it has some you know creation date and so on. And to be able to do that, you have to have Azure Directory, but you can also kind of mock this, fake this get user commandlet by just returning some PowerShell object that has this data on it. And then you can do whatever in the actual function that you're writing over this and then test if the output is correct. I like it's, that. I think it's kind of difficult to grasp without actually having a whiteboard and writing right. some examples on it. I mean, I think but, your uh, Git80 user example kind of is pretty good. It's like, instead of actually using the Active Directory module, you would just create your own that outputs a handful of users and they have the certain properties that you're looking for that your command will then work with. You know, it's not going to be exactly what it would be in real life, but for the purposes of testing the one command or your module or whatever, that's all you really need. Is just a command that does that without making your testing environment super complex and annoying to deal with. Yes. And then the second use for mocking is if you are replacing a functionality that does something that you don't really want to do. Like uh, if I write a module that enables me to restart my computer in 10 minutes, I want to be able to count down those 10 minutes and then call restart computer, but not actually restart my computer. I want to say, instead of calling the real restart computer that comes with PowerShell, call my mock and just take a note that you actually called it and you called it with those parameters. And then I will check how I called restart computer. And because I believe that if I call restart computer with those parameters, my computer will actually restart. I don't really need to do that restart as long as I'm sure that I made that call. So that's what we then would check with should invoke an assertion that's paired with the mock keyword 
and we would make sure that we called that restart computer mock one time with a given parameter filter. Okay, I like that. So I think that to reiterate what we said earlier, it's kind of like the situation where this is not an unapproachable thing. You just need to spend some time kind of reading about it, going through some examples, kind of going through it your first time. You mentioned you have some YouTube or some talks. Um, and we'll put some links in the show notes for some helpful talks that'll kind of explain things in more detail than we can get into here. But I think that almost everyone I've talked to who's creating modules at a high level, making maintainable modules, doing things the appropriate way, is using Pester in some way. And the more the merrier, but at the very least, I think many, many people are using Pester to ensure that like their module has help, that they use verb noun. I think, um, gosh, I can't remember the name of the other project that has all that in it right now. Um, you mean PS Script Analyzer? Yes, that's it. I think that they have it integrate with a lot of those tests, if I recall correctly, to just ensure that, hey, every single time someone commits something, it maintains this minimum quality. It makes sure that our code isn't going in the wrong direction. And it's like a sanity check. It really is. And as time goes on, you have an issue with your code, you fix something on your project, you can then create a pester test to look for it in the future. And I think that Pester in general just really points to doing things in a more efficient way, which as PowerShellers, as automators, we really enjoy that. Um, and it's definitely a tool that we should look to add to our tool belts if it's not already there. Yeah, I only agree. Like, it's amazing to see all the use cases that people have. I, that's why I love coming to like PSConf for you, because then every talk you go to, there's some usage of Pester in some place sometimes. Well, not every time, but sometimes there is so and it's just so distinct and because we are not trying to gatekeep anyone from like using pester in their own way we just give them the basic building blocks they can come up with some amazing stuff you know validating environments documentation um validating databases trying this integrating with vs code and so on so many things happening yeah i remember i used it in a job when i was doing a lot of desktop stuff I wrote it to check for common configured things or like decisions that would be made about a computer so that whenever someone had an issue, I could run a pester test on their computer and get a result on like, oh, hey, this is configured this way. Oh, this fails because they customized this and just kind of have a list of the things that typically go wrong that I would see with our help desk. And then boom, we just get a report with a green check or a red X. And it just really massively helped things. Um, very cool project. But I think we mentioned something earlier, test-driven development. What does that mean? What is test-driven development? Test-driven development is an original idea that uh, you write a test, which gives you some expectation of your code. You run that test, and the test fails because you don't have that expectation in your code yet. Or if it's already there, then you maybe don't, you don't know enough about your own code and about its capabilities and behaviors. And then once you have that failing test, you can start filling in the details into your code to actually pass that test. So it's kind of a type of uh, development where you start with a test and you use that as a sanity check or as a way of producing new functionality. That said, I don't think many people practice this these days because especially in the PowerShell world where, where stuff is kind of about integration and it's very exploratory, you usually just have to try it for yourself. You see the results and then you kind of standardize them. You put them inside of a test so other people can learn from it or the functionality that you just came up with is stored within your code base. And then by rerunning those tests, you ensure that the functionality stays there. But I don't think that many people practice test-driven development in PowerShell. What's your opinion, Dan? It feels to me like it would do something extremely critical, which uh, prevent scope creep. Because if you write your test saying, this is what I'm expecting results, you're writing your code for that, then anything or scope group about that is going to go outside your test parameters. And so you're going to more likely rein it in. Maybe I'm off base on that, but it feels to me like that's a huge side benefit. So I like the idea of making sure that you keep testing in mind as you make decisions about where you're going to go. And so you don't create too much and then have like, oh crap, I didn't create any tests. Oh, I'm busy with other things. I never create it. Um, but I, I can definitely see the challenges in PowerShell with that approach. Uh, another approach I heard 
back in the day quite a bit, and I think still to this day I still do, which is documentation-driven development, which I feel like there's some middle ground. And documentation-driven development is where you write your documentation before the function and kind of allow that to define what you're going to write. Um, but I kind of like a hybrid approach where you have documentation that has examples and has you know some description of what happens. You write your function and your tests around that and kind of have a cohesive unit of here's what documentation says to do. And the tests verify that everything in the documentation says it will do, it will do. Um, but what do you make of it? How do you think people should be approaching things? I like the idea that you just described, but uh, for me, writing the documentation first is quite expensive because sometimes you don't really know how the feature will work, how it will interact with other stuff. And like documentation is very, very expensive way of documenting stuff. It's much easier to like write a test and then say, yeah, here's the code example, you know? Um, I think the middle ground is the best for me. Like at least in Pester, when we write tests, we we have this additional testing framework, which is very simple and uh, it's called P, just the letter P because it's very small and uh, it doesn't, it has like 100 lines of code, I think. And we use that to automate 90% of what we're testing on Pester. So any end-to-end -end test is exposed. It's like written in the speed test framework. And every time we have an issue, we try to create at least one new test for this that links to the issue on GitHub. And so basically, it's like an interactive process where you do a little bit of testing yourself, a little bit of writing of that code, maybe copy the code that the, that the reporter of the issue provided, put it in your test, and then try to simplify it to really get like a minimal repro. But it's not focusing on like this test has to be written before the code was actually written, this test has to be written after, or we have to have like this exact process as long as if the issue is solved and it reappears, the test actually fails. So I think that's the biggest benefit for me. And also in PowerShell stuff is not so like constricted because sometimes you're working with like 10 different products in one solution and you need to know the quirks of this one and this one and so on. And it's not like you're writing a web application for you know, selling some product or something where you know this is exactly what's going to happen, this is how I will deploy it, and so on. So I don't really have a strong recommendation or answer as long as if you introduce a bug that you saw before, hopefully there is a test that's failing. This does feel like one where there's never going to be a, a universally agreed upon answer, just because when you're done writing a the code, there's 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 three components. There's the actual code, there's testing, and there's documentation. And the most common, I'd assume, and maybe just because I am this lazy, is I write the code and then I forget about everything else. But it, it feels like without having all three components, whatever you have isn't a finished product yet. Just because, I mean, the code is, does what you need it to do. Testing makes it so it's easier to fix and enhance the code and documentation, make it so other people can use it. So it feels like all three components need to be there, but they're all, I don't want to say significant, but they're all uh, a big, big uh, time case after the, after the code is written. So it's somewhere in there, you've got a finagle where you can get it all done. And I don't know. It's, 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 it's a big task. I mean, think about this. You can write a pester test to ensure that every single thing that you write has a pester test. Is that true? If I think it is true. It would go under like code coverage and ensuring that you have 100% code coverage uh, on your code, which also isn't a great metric to have. But uh, yeah. what you said is, is true. Like uh, I think writing code is done because it's that essential because without actually having the code, you have no functionality, but then it works if you have tests or not or it has a chance of working if you have a test or not, sometimes. And then it also works if you don't have documentation. So both writing tests and documentation forces you to have like some decision to actually make it. And uh, you cannot really have just documentation and tests without the actual code underneath it, because then you wouldn't have anything. But if it was possible, then you would also might be too lazy to write that code. 
I mean, when I think about it, I'm like, man, I got to put my name on something. Like, imagine I'm working for an organization, creating some stuff internally. It's like, I got to create some stuff. I got to one, I got to maybe remember it in a year. And, uh, you know, my memory ain't too good these days. And I also maybe want to hand this off to other people. And by having tests be part of that, it makes it so I can have confidence in what I've done. And like, hey, at this point in time, this is done the proper way. And I feel like pester and documentation is kind of required to have a finished product, like making sure you have testing and making sure you can ensure the quality. Because uh, it just, I don't know if it's anything's enterprise ready without all of those considerations. I totally agree with you. Documentation and tests are necessary to any product. It's just unfortunate that many products are able to work without it. <laughs> it forces people to either read the code or like figure out what's happening for themselves. But yes, like if you're handing a product to someone else and it has tests, you can just tell them, yeah, try make changes from the test, see what breaks. If stuff doesn't break, then maybe we did it wrong. If stuff breaks, at least you know what did you break. Yeah, I think almost everyone agrees that one of the biggest strengths of PowerShell is it's community driven. Everyone steps in and takes a part. So the documentation and the pest or, te or testing makes it so the barrier of entry for people to, to join the community is lower. And that, that feels important. Yeah, I want to be able to contribute code and know I'm not going to destroy the world. And pester tests help reassure me. Ah, the green check marks look so nice. Yes, uh, that's also one of the motivations of why I said if I was doing this from the scratch, I wouldn't use those DSLs and like script blocks and stuff like that and like single word commands because it really looks very alien to the rest of the PowerShell world. And so people might think, oh, this is something more than just running a function inside of try-catch and getting a green or red result. But in the end, it's really not. And so it would lower the barrier of entry for those exact people that you described who just want to join the community, improve the product, um, make it better, and so on. Like if you saw my first GitHub pull request, that was changing two colors inside of Pester repo. It was a very small thing. I added some screenshots, and that was it. You know, Jordan, you mentioned community driving a lot of projects kind of makes me think of community-driven development. And Pester helps enable that, which is awesome. Now, for people who are just hearing about Pester now, maybe they've heard about it a handful of times on the podcast or throughout their work, and they want to get started. Do you have some tips for people who are just getting started, just taking a bite out of that apple? So what I usually recommend to people how to start with testing is imagine a single test that you're doing manually that you always run when you try to either publish a new version of your module or when you're doing some changes, like what's the most critical thing that you check that it still works? And then just take those manual steps and put them in code. And then just take Pester and put it inside of the it block. And if it gives you a green result when the stuff that you would normally do manually passes in your head, and red check if it doesn't pass in your head, then you have a test. And that's all that's there. And if you have many of those tests, codify them. And now suddenly you have automated tests for your product. There you go. So what is continuous integration and how does Pester get involved in that? What role does Pester play in continuous integration? So continuous integration and continuous deployment are ideas of always having um, some kind of shippable product or being able to know if your product is shippable. And so you use automation systems like Azure DevOps or GitHub Actions into which you create a pipeline which runs different checks on your code, like tester uh, tests or code coverage percentage and uh, deploys it somewhere or stuff like that. And that way, you ensure that every time you push change into your code inside of a repository, like a Git repository, you run this set of checks and you know, is this a working product? Can I take it and can I now give it to people who actually use it? Yeah. And so not only you are able to locally ensure that it works locally on your computer, but you are also able to automatically ensure that your product is working when you make changes. 
automatically, which is cool. I like that word. Uh, and from what I've seen with projects, whenever I've implemented it or otherwise, it's like automatically you add a commit, you can create a trigger so that boom, it runs your full suite of tests. Anytime you commit code, you get that sanity check of seeing, oh, did I just break everything or not? Oh, things are safe. Okay. You know, it really, uh, I think this is the thing that we would use to coordinate our automation of testing. Mm -hmm. I think coordination is also one good aspect of this. If you have a public project, for example, on GitHub, you can set up your pipeline in a way that during a pull request, when someone wants to make a change, you run all the tests. And that way you don't have to be always there, review their code, run it locally and tell them, no, you did this wrong because now the color on the screen is not blue, it's red and I cannot read anything because the text on that is also red mm -hmm. or whatever example of your module would be. And so then you have this, this pull request and you can validate it automatically. And my screen just turned totally black. Wow. <laughs> we can still see you. Yeah, we can see you. So I'm not sure. Uh... <laughs> I'll, I'll ask Mike. another one. Go ahead. Yeah, go on. Um, so if someone's just, are there any limitations or drawbacks in Pester that people should be aware of? Any kind of gotchas they should be looking out for as they implement it into their projects? Um, I'm not really sure. Everyone finds different parts of Pester a little uh, confusing. So a lot of the time people... Uh, don't really understand how to do mocking. They don't really know what to do, where to place code. So especially maybe in Pester 5, uh, you really have to care about where you place your code. So it's placed inside of the either before each or before all blocks. It's placed inside of it. So the rules a little bit changed between uh, Pester 4 and Pester 5. We have this uh, this migration guide on our documentation page on pester.dev. And uh, I think this would be one of the gotchas. I see you have a blog post about Pester and you aren't the original creator. Um, we want to give a shout out to, I believe his name is Scott Mook. And yep. so, so you took that, I think that was uh, 2011 was when it first started. Um, and when did you get involved? Oh, I cannot recall exactly. Um, Twenty fourteen. That 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 sounds about right. I think maybe somewhere before that. Yeah, sounds about right. So yeah, Scott, uh, which I'm by the way meeting in two days because oh. he's visiting Czech Republic, um, wrote this module originally to validate the functionality of his other module, which was parsing some YAML. I think. And I think he wrote it like on 1st of January uh, after like, like being hangout from the previous night of drinking. So I feel like that's, that's, the, that's the story. But uh, it has been alive for a long time. A lot of great people contributed the basic functionality, including mocking and so on. And then I got tasked at work with some PowerShell stuff and I was like, yeah, sure. I was at like two weeks course. Let me take a stab on this and just write it because PowerShell is so easy. Turned out PowerShell wasn't that easy and the task that I got also wasn't very easy. So after a month or two of working on it, I had nothing. Like I had no working code that would be able to work. And the solution was... Uh, something like create power management suit that works across different operating systems, like different versions of Windows, I mean. And so I just wasn't able to do it. It was always broken. And then I realized, oh, there's something like, like unit testing, something like that. And so I just searched for all the unit testing frameworks that were around for PowerShell and found that Pester is one of them and has most of the features. So I just decided to start using it wrote some tests in it, uh, the project got back on track, and I was learning more and more about PowerShell and joined before like PowerShell.com uh, was a very active forum, which now I think is defunct. And then over time, I started contributing more and more into Pester after changing those colors in my first ever GitHub pull request. 
And then Scott was going away from like Windows and PowerShell and was doing different stuff. And he was like, hey, do you want to do you want to just like maintain this this project? Do you want to take it? And then, so I just took it. And at that time, because I was writing for uh, PowerShell magazine, and there was also Dave Wyatt at that time, we kind of popularized testing and a lot of people picked up on it. And from that, it just like, you know, snowballed. So more and more, more, and more people got interested. And uh, there's always some kind of additional maintainer on the Pester repo that I work with. So right now it's Frode Flatten and Bravo Kernel, who both of those guys are doing an amazing job on both the main Pester repo and the documentation page. And I'm like always there, uh, kind of in the background, <laughs> always, you know, hoping that those maintainers will stick around for more than a few years. And if they don't, then I jump in. I try to maintain the thing and uh, make sure that everyone in PowerShell community can continue testing with Pester. Well, we have a bunch of PowerShell listeners here. So if anyone is keen to contribute or get involved, definitely check out the project because and start small. Right, you are a testament to that. I believe you mentioned you started by just changing colors, and now all of a sudden you've made a lot more contributions for that. But just get started small. Make your first contribution on projects. We kind of echo that a lot, but it's on this podcast. But it's cool to see that that was your experience with this project, and now all of a sudden you've done quite a bit of work on it. Several years later. Yes, I can only agree. Come and contribute. So was it? You at PowerShell Summit in 2018 that was talking about Pester? Because I remember attending a session on Pester. I can't remember if it was you that was giving the talk, though. I think it was probably Dave Wyatt. Dave Wyatt, okay. I remember because back back then I was in QA and it's like, I could really use this. And I came away realizing I need to move over to content. <laughs> I think that Glenn Sardi also had a few um, awesome talks on Pester. But I think that was yeah. more advanced, like how to use it to the next level. He definitely did uh, on YouTube. I have this whole Pester playlist, and it goes from the like least advanced, from like beginner to the more advanced topics. And Glenn's talks are definitely in this list. And I think he has both like more beginner friendly and more advanced, very practical talk on that. So that would be one of the resources that you can link. Awesome. Our YouTube Pester. As you see, uh, if that playlist is public i'd love to put that in the show notes and you know what we need to get glenn on the podcast as well i've been talking to him a little bit so it might be a good time now that we've introduced uh, pester but so that's yeah. pester pester that's awesome check it out i believe was it shipped with powershell at some point or am i misremembering things uh it was shipped with windows at some point so right. not just All powershell right. but it was yeah. directly inside of windows for a short period of time so yeah, it was one of the, well, I think the first open source project that was in, uh, inserted directly into Windows, but uh, the no one committed to actually updating it. So after like a long time in, in Windows, they then promptly removed it again. So now it's not shipping again with, uh, with Windows, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Because in all the places where you want to have it, like on your local computer or in like Azure DevOps hosted image, they can insert it in other way and they don't have to go through like the whole super difficult cycle of updating stuff within windows yeah. when they can just put install module in the setup script for the whole vm image right yeah so i remember it being a little bit frustrating how it was an older version and then there was a newer version that everyone was using and it was in the box so it was installed in some locations and yeah but a very cool project. Definitely check it out. It is, if you're trying to take your PowerShell to the next level or just do things the complete appropriate way, you got to use Pester. I don't know of uh, many alternatives that are used in the PowerShell world. But that's not all, okay? Jakob, you're a busy guy. I believe you have another project that is maybe even cooler called Profiler. Can you tell us a little bit about what is Profiler? So Profiler is a tool that I wrote uh, originally to work on Pester and its performance because I created Pester 5 and uh, it does internally a way more stuff than Pester 4 was doing. 
And when I tried to make them kind of comparable speed-wise, I was spending my evenings just looking at the code, trying to guess where it's slow, running it over and over again, inserting measure uh, measures, measure script or measure command, measure command, that's the name of the commandlet, inside of uh, the code and just like guessing what's happening. Why is it so slow? And then I found uh, Matthias's IS reset me uh, PS profiler and tried to use that, but it only was able to profile like a script log, which wasn't very convenient for me because I had millions of script logs to compare. And so I decided to write my own, my own tool and try to figure out how to do it. And so I digged inside of PowerShell repo, added like some places where I actually was logging what's running and how long. And then I found a universal way to tie this into any version of PowerShell, no matter if like PowerShell 7 or PowerShell 5. And that was the basis of Profiler. And what Profiler does is that it writes a long list of events. So every time there is something interesting happening, like a function starting, I write the timestamp and where this actually happened. And then in the end step, I process all of this data, summarize them up, and tell you this is the line, this is the like 50 lines of code that take most of the time in your code or in any PowerShell code that you are running. So no matter if it's in the top level script block, if it's in a module that you're importing, if it's in a BSD one, I think even, it just tells you those are the five lines that you should be focusing on because they're taking most of the time in the execution. Hmm. So that's, that's Profiler. It's it's very nice. Now, now that's pretty advanced <laughs> for me, but it sounds like, so you read the PowerShell source code, was it? And you saw where you could connect and see what's going on and then you wrote an output of when each event fires is that right um something like this so powershell is an interpreted language right and so what's happening when you are executing your code is that the powershell engine is taking that code and like executing it basically like line by line or like uh of, yeah, let's say just line by line. So line by line or function by function, it goes down the script and you get a chance inside of uh, the PowerShell engine to just add like logging and say, I started this function here at this time. I started this function here at this time. And then if you are able to write this list of things, then you can look like I started the function here and then I it went all the way down here where I left the function so what's the difference between the timestamps? And if you do this enough times, then you will kind of get a profile of what's running in the code. And you get also a list of every single line of code that you were executing, as long as it's a PowerShell code. And then you can summarize this and you can like add off all of those um, durations together, exclude all the durations that were underneath them. So if you're... Um, get user function calls get user internal and that calls get user internal internal then you want to account only between get user and get user internal to the get user but you don't want to account everything that happened underneath it because then you don't know where it happened and so this summarization then you just select the top from that that had the longest duration and you tell the user those lines of code are probably what caused the most time delay in your script. But if we just use this project, we could just make use of your hard work and we don't need to know all the nitty gritty details. But I will say it's pretty impressive. To me, it sounds quite cool. I, I want to dig into this project, read a little bit more and see how you're interacting with the engine on that level because I haven't used PowerShell to that level yet. Mm -hmm. my my uh, my like uh, my goal in this project is that you really don't need to know anything of this you don't need to know 99% of what the profiler module can do because you just use a single commandlet which is called trace script you give it whatever script block you want to execute or file or module or if you want to trace your startup profile in your powershell you can do all of that and then you just look at a single table, which is called top 50 self duration. And 
you will just get the lines of code that are taking most of the time. And then if you focus on those and optimize them, then uh, you get faster script. How you exactly optimize them? I don't know, but that's an easy question that you can just ask on any PowerShell community repo. And there will definitely be some people who will be willing to help you and will be all over the place like to help you optimize this code because it's a challenge to them. But no one is going to take your 3,000 lines PowerShell code and tell you, yes, this line is the slow one. That's the, that's the aim of Profiler, to tell you this is the slow part of your code. And then internally, it has like tons more capabilities that I can use to like analyze stuff and like look uh, very deeply into why stuff doesn't work. But honestly, I also 90% of the time I use the basic functionality where I just look at the slowest lines of code and just optimize those. And that gives me the best results. So it dawns on me that Pester was written to help out with some unknown and Profiler was written to help with Pester. So that means there's some module we're not aware of that is the launching point of two pretty significant modules that help people all over the place. I'm curious, what the, is this the most unknown super module of all time? <laughs> I don't know what that will be. <laughs> I have to hit, I have to hit up Scott and find out. Can you use Profiler with Pester? Oh, yes, you definitely can. Uh, we made it. And when I say we, I mean me and Frode, uh, who has been helping me also on the Profiler project. Uh, we've made it in a way that you can run Profiler over Pester. You can also run Profiler over Pester while Pester is profiling something, if you want it, because um, the reason for that is that the core of Profiler is the same for Pester code coverage and uh, for Profiler. So Pester code coverage for the longest time, and I think it's still the default, is based on breakpoints and breakpoints in PowerShell until 7.4, which will be released now, are super slow. Like uh, if you have more than 100 breakpoints on every place, uh, I want to say sequence point, but it's very, very often they are copied and looked up in very inefficient way because there was never like assumption that there will be thousands and thousands of breakpoints defined within a script block. But we do exactly that in Pester when we uh, measure code coverage. And so I used the core of the new module profiler that I wrote to actually implement new version of code coverage inside of Pester. So every time you would run profiler over Pester that is doing code coverage, you would run into itself because they are using the same uh, kind of core. And so we needed to make it this way so you can profile Pester while Pester is profiling something. <laughs> It's it's very complicated, but it, for you, it's all transparent. It just works. And so running uh, tests under Profiler is definitely a great way to find slow code in your module because you exercise a lot of parts of your code. You may be running one functionality over and over again because you are testing it from like 20 different uh, points of view. And that way, you can then pick up what was really slow, like what's really slowing you down in your module. So yeah, definitely try that. I think it's Very worth cool. it. Make it part of your CI pipeline. Definitely gives a little bit more visibility into what the heck's going on. Because I feel like a lot of people never check the performance. I think other people maybe obsess on it. And some never check at all. And this is a very simple way where you don't really have to do much other than install module profiler and then trace script. And you can start getting insights into what the heck is going on with your slow script. All right. Well, not not to say I've been researching things, but the name of the module is Power YAML, which is now maintained by Chris Hunt. So, okay. Chris Hunt. Nice. So, so yeah. I just I don't I don't know why I got stuck on that, but I just was fascinated by one module from way back when that has been leading to so many things. I mean, there's not a lot of connection anymore. It just I don't know. Fascinating to me anyway. Is, is that is that the module that Scott was, was testing at the start? 
Uh, yep. So, because you mentioned you thought it was something for YAML, and in his code, he has one called Power YAML that he mentioned he doesn't maintain and gives links to three others. And the new Power YAML is a fork of that one. So, I'm, I'm like an internet detective over here. <laughs> I mean, to me, it it points to how cool it is that PowerShell is just getting more and more mature. You know, this is a testing framework that is, I don't want to say old, but it's older than both of my kids. It's 12 years <laughs> old. You know, it's really come a long way through a lot of work over the years, a lot of uh, improvements and new versions. And I think you mentioned earlier that there uh, might be another version coming down the road with not too many significant changes. But yeah, it's, it's awesome. It makes me feel happy to be a PowerSheller. I want to go community with this because I think it was two weeks ago now, maybe three by the time people are listening, but you were at a very special PowerShell conference in your backyard. PSCon for you. Is that right? That's true. We had uh, PowerShell conference Europe here in Prague, or I say here, but I'm no longer living in Prague, but we had it here in Czech Republic in Prague, which was amazing. And it was kind of a dream come true to have like all all the all my friends, all the speakers, uh, all the attendees here in Prague, being able to tell them, like, this is a really cool place where I go for beer. Go check it out. Um, this is like uh, what you can see if you like walk from my flat that I had before over the edge of the Vltava River towards the Prague Castle and so on. So it was really nice. And also the content of the conference was amazing. Like uh, PowerShell has such a nice, strong community. Everyone was embracing everyone, and like uh, it was, it was so nice to see what people came up with during the year and uh, meet all the attendees and all all those people. So really enjoyed it. We've heard great things about it. I tell you what, and I believe you were a speaker this year and i think you're, you're a speaker all the time it feels like but uh what talks did you give at this pscon for you so i was talking about uh what is new investor which was a talk that i originally really would love if Froda was giving because a lot of the things that i was presenting were something that he implemented or helped with but unfortunately i didn't get to talk him into this or talk him into even uh, attending the conference that would have been amazing. And then the second talk that I was giving was on a profiler and going kind of below that. So if uh, just the description of what's happening inside of profiler blew your mind, then maybe go and see this one as well, because that goes even a little bit deeper into how you profile uh, C-sharp code and how you connect it with the stuff that uh, profiler tells you. So if profiler, for example, tells you this binary commandlet is very slow. You cannot really see anything further inside of PowerShell, but you can learn how to profile .NET code and then look deeper and deeper into those details so you actually find out what's going on. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. I love going deep and getting lost in, in concepts that are just a little bit outside of my current comfort level. Uh, but at the conference, did you prefer the PowerShell tech nerdiness, or did you prefer the community? Because to me, it seems like they're just very, both very, very strong. Like the community aspect that I've heard from so many people at PowerShell Conference EU is that it is just the warmest week you could imagine. Um, but also I'm looking at a lot of these talks and their titles and it's like, wow, there's some amazing PowerShell as well. What was your preference? Um, I don't know why I have to choose. I think you get both at the same time. You sit in the conference room for 30, 45 minutes. You get to enjoy uh, the content. And then you take ping pong paddle and then you go play big game of like running around the table with the people from the community. And then you just repeat that four times during the day until you're at the end of the first day of the conference. So it's just you go back and forth. So find it both. A nice balance. Life's all about balance. So awesome. Um, and real quick, I know we've covered a lot, but I kind of am curious about your background because now you're a developer for Microsoft, I think working with C Sharp and maybe some other languages, but how did you get involved in PowerShell and, and what? where did that meet you in your career? Were you always a developer or what's your career been like? 
So I haven't always been a developer. Actually, the start of my job was basically like a data entry. So I was hired for what was called a system administrator. But basically, I was just asking people about what's running on their server and then filing it into an Excel file. And then uh, because it was a part of a big project to migrate from Windows 2000 to Windows Vista at that time, people were sometimes having problems to run the applications on the new systems. And I got deeper and deeper into that. And I got like some tech background, read some cool books like Windows internals. And uh, then I started getting more interested in coding and in scripting and so on. And I got this project that I mentioned before that almost terribly failed, which was writing a like a power management solution that goes across Windows 2000, Windows Vista, and Windows 7. And I was like, yeah, this is super easy. I've already been for a PowerShell course for two weeks. There is powercfg.exe. I can just use that, automate it, and it will work great. And so the whole point was basically what I think is now built into Windows, um, just to schedule when computers will go to sleep and so on, because we had thousands of them and wanted to deploy this through like uh, Azure DevOps startup script or something like that, like a service. Not Azure DevOps, sorry, I mean Active Directory startup script. And so I was writing, 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 and wasn't able to finish this at all. And then I found out about Fester, started figuring out how to actually write proper PowerShell, and uh, got more interested in unit testing, got into changing Fester itself, responded a thousand times uh, on PowerShell.com at that time. And that teached me a lot of uh, PowerShell. And then I like uh, grew past that and started being more interested into development world and so on, because as you said, I'm interested in stuff that is a little bit outside of what I currently understand. And so I started doing this and started another project that was useful to us at that time, which was being able to run like administrative commands on a computer where you don't have administrator rights. It wasn't hacking into the system. It was like very simple service where you shown to the user a list of items that they can click on, like reset, um, I don't know, reset the queue on my printer or something like this where you needed admin. And it was all implemented in a combination of C-sharp and PowerShell where you clicked on a nice button and it gave you like a remote view of a PowerShell terminal where the script was executing under credentials of that service, but you couldn't do anything else. And that resetted your queue for your printer. You got nice output, was all localized and so on, and tested. And that brought me to some more C-sharp projects. And then I changed jobs and became full-time uh, .NET developer. Got into a consultancy firm where I got many, many different projects in many different languages. So I learned about like Kubernetes, Docker, TypeScript, JavaScript, you know, F-sharp. Uh, and so on, Go, that was that was a big, nice thing. And then I moved to Microsoft, where I now work in .NET and work on uh, two testing products, which are called VS Test and MS Test, and so on. So I also do some small fixes in Azure DevOps from time to time. <laughs> so it's all ties kind of to, towards the testing. Cool. Do you think that working on Pester and your public contributions there kind of helped you with where you are now and getting your role? I'm pretty sure they did because um, I'm sure they were looking for like a seasoned open source uh, maintainer of a product because what I work on is also open source and having you know experience with talking with the community, responding to issues you know, solving conflicts and so on. I think that was definitely a plus. And it's also nice to be able to come to a company of all, you know, Microsoft and say, oh, you're already using my open source project. <laughs> so that, that I think it's, it's, was, was pretty nice. Jordan. Is it, is it time for the questions? I think we got some hard questions this week. I think okay. we really went in our bag and, and found the best ones. Yeah, I feel like people have been prepping for these questions recently. So I'm going to use two of the same questions, but I'm throwing in a third new question. 
just to keep things extra difficult. All right. Are you ready for the common parameters, Yaakov? Let's go. All right. With everything you know now, which appears to be a lot, you're looking at the, the, the deep level of PowerShell. What is one tip you would give yourself when you're first starting in IT? Okay, that's a hard one. Um, I think good advice that I would give to specifically myself is don't just focus on the tech, focus also on the people. Because I think that's, uh, that's one thing that people have to learn along the way that, uh, you know, good job opportunities are made from uh, friend relationships. Uh, it's, you don't have to be technically excellent uh, to be nice to people and so on. So definitely don't underestimate the impact of you behaving nicely to other people. Um, You've gone soft skills. You made Andrew very happy. I love it when our guests <laughs> mention this because really so many people who are very successful and we look up to and are awesome in the community, they have a very similar realization about how, yeah, tech is great, but often the limiting factor is interacting with other people. All right. You crushed it. Are you ready for the second common parameter? Yeah, let's go. What's your three favorite modules? And your own modules are acceptable answers. Um, this is this is maybe harder than, than the previous one because um, I don't really use PowerShell that much. I mean, I, I do use it every day to do my common tasks, but I don't have like, you know, this niche. Like some people say, oh, I do, I do a lot of Azure or I do this or I do that. I just open the command line and I don't need anything because I either focus on Pester or just use it to parse some files. But one module that I use every day is called uh, Set Location, which is like a helper tool that uh, detects which folder you go into, and then you can very easily jump into them. That's super useful to me because I switch between so many projects every day and just be able to say just, you know, uh, I think the default alias is Set, but I have it as J because it's closer on my keyboard. So being able to just say Set, and three letters of that path that you go into every day, no matter how deep it is, that's what I use. So that location is definitely in my profile. Um, then Bosch Git that I think it's built in nowadays, just because I cannot live with it. Like if I have a system where this is not available and I'm inside of a Git repository, and I don't see the current branch. I'm just so confused about what's going on. And it's just so annoying to not have it. And then one module that I also really like to use is uh, Justin's extension to VS Code, which ties faster together with uh, the VS Code uh, Test Explorer. I don't know if you can mention it as a module per se, because it's more of an extension to VS Code, but it has module inside nowadays. So it's a module to me. There you go. We'll take it. All right, you ready for third and final? I'm not sure common parameter is accurate where this is the first time we're asking it, but uh, going forward, it'll be a common parameter. Yeah, let's let's see. Right. When, when learning PowerShell, what has been the best resource for you? The best research to me was definitely uh, PowerShell in Action book, Bruce Pyatt's book. Um, I like I met Bruce Pyatt a few times, and I still cannot get over with like being able to read his book, learn everything from that book, build my career on it, and then like meet him in a corridor on a conference and talk. That definitely is a great resource. It might not be for everyone. Because unlike, you know, uh, PowerShell in months of lunches or something like that, this book is really like a reference book. It's nowadays maybe more than 1,000 pages. It definitely is more than 1,000 pages. But to me, that's, that's the way to learn because it explains everything in accurate detail without any, you know, uh, any doubt about how stuff works. So if you're like me and like to learn this way, to like read as much as you can about the topic and then connect the dots. This is the resource to have. It's a good call out. All right, you, you nailed it. You know, I, I know people are nervous about that part of it, but uh, you did great. You survived. 
Thank you. I'm, I'm not That's sure so if cool. you're. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but you are actually speaking to a legitimate superhero, which I know we got a lot of superhero fatigue, but there's only one that is real life superhero for all of us to look up to. And that's Andrew Pla. And his, his superpower is chilling podcasts. And, and we get a front row seat to watch the greatest hero of our time. Uh, just, you know, show us his craft. Oh, well, in that case, thank you for this opportunity. <laughs> I right, take you, Andrew. You kind of undersold me a little bit, but I'll let it pass this week. Next time, make sure to really uh, emphasize my gifts. Welcome to the shill of the ride, everyone. The power shill, if you will. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an awesome episode. My mind's been blown a bit. I've learned some new things. I got some new topics I need to follow up with. If you liked what you heard, Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You listen wherever you want. Just uh, give us a review. Like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube. Uh, leave a comment letting us know how you're using Profile or Pester or what your favorite module is that Jakob should have mentioned. Um, you can email us, powershell at pdq.com. We'd love to hear from you. We've got feedback. We can answer some questions. Whatever you need, we're here for you. You can find us on the internet. I'm at Andrew Plotek. He's at DevOps Jordan. And Jakob, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on the internet? If we want to keep track, see what's up. They can also find me on Twitter at NoHWND. And we got all your links in the show notes. Check them out, people. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you. This has been uh, long overdue, and we're very pleased that we could get you on. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It was awesome. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plough. What's the matter with you guys? <laughs> the PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com. 